Hello, I am Katerina Sliva. I am a partner at Dentons in the Real Estate Group. I am also the head of our Land Use Planning, Municipal and Development Law Group. I help our developer and landowner clients secure zoning and other development approvals for their projects. I am the lead of our Canada Smart Cities Think Tank. I am also your host for the Smart Cities Chat Podcast Series, brought to you by Dentons. This podcast series covers a broad range of topics within the Smart Cities space. Everything from drones, communication, 5G, privacy and related issues, P3s, transportation and smart mobility, sustainable, smart communities, and much, much more. You can find our episodes at www.dentons.com on our podcast page. There you can access our episodes as well as an episode description for each topic and information on our speakers. And now over to our podcast. Our topic is uh, Smart Cities in Canada, the role of Infrastructure Canada. And our keynote speaker is uh, Kelly Gillis, the Deputy Minister of Infrastructure Canada. Uh, we're going to deal with a number of questions during this uh, summit. Uh, amongst them is uh, what makes uh, cities and communities smart? Uh, who are the pivotal players and um, how do they contribute? Uh, clearly governments, uh, whether it's federal, provincial, territorial, municipal, play a key role. And within the federal government, Infrastructure Canada is uh, uh, is one of the main players. And of course, Kelly Gillis is the uh, uh, Deputy Minister of uh, Infrastructure Canada. Uh, will speak to us about that role. Uh, Kelly was appointed Deputy Minister in September 2017. Uh, prior to this appointment, she uh, served as Associate Deputy Minister of Innovation Science and Economic Development Canada. And previous to this, she held a number of positions within the federal government, including a senior uh, assistant deputy minister of Spectrum in Information Technologies and Telecommunications Sector, and uh, chief financial officer of uh, Industry Canada. So I'll turn it over to you, Kelly. Um, for those who, who know uh, Infrastructure Canada, our mandate is really investing in infrastructure, in public infrastructure, in Canada. And we do that through many partnerships because as many people know in Canada, 98% of our public infrastructure is owned by provinces, territories, and municipalities. So it's not just inv investing in infrastructure for today, but infrastructure for tomorrow. And smart cities and smart communities are a really important part of that. You know, it wasn't long ago that when we were talking about infrastructure, you know, what we went to automatically was roads, bridges, you know, water systems and, and buildings. But today, when we talk about infrastructure, we think about digital infrastructure and communities are increasingly thinking about technology and data systems needed as key components of infrastructure. As you know, we're working here today, connectivity is crucial. It was crucial before COVID and now that's just amplified. So the role technology can play in infrastructure, you know, is so important. And it is, it's fairly new. And that's why when we started our Smart Cities journey in 2017, we launched our first Smart Cities Challenge. It was done as an experiment to see kind of, you know, as the federal government was going into that, what could we learn from this? And from the outset, you know, we asked ourselves the question, what do we mean by a smart city? And we wanted to be inclusive of all communities. Because often when you think of cities, you think of large urban centers, 
but we wanted to make sure it was open to all and it, that it was technologically neutral. So for us, and it was about achieving meaningful outcomes for citizens and residents by leveraging the fundamental benefits of data and connected technology. So from the outset, we looked at characteristics such as openness, integration, transferability, collaboration, and we received a lot of great ideas. We received actually 130 applications from coast to coast to coast in our first challenge, representing 225 communities. Communities as small as 185 residents, right up to our largest cities. And 20% of our applications involved Indigenous communities, either as a sole applicant or in partnership. And I really, really appreciated the partnerships because we had non-Indigenous communities and Indigenous communities coming together to solve a common issue. So it validated one of our main theories that the opportunities for technology could be meaningful for communities of any size, big or small. Another critical part of our approach and how we built our requirements was for local engagement. By having applicants ask their residents what problems they were trying to solve in their community. And then the applicants were asked to develop their vision for solving the problem using data and technology, which is a very different approach for the federal government. Normally we say, this is the problem. And these are the rules about how about going about engaging and solving that problem. So we took a bottom up approach to smart cities. So a key lesson for us was certainly starting with the need before the technology. And of course we saw proposals and project ideas that related to familiar smart city technologies such as integrated transportation and lighting, but by far the most common dominated themes that came through were social and civic issues related to inclusion, poverty elimination, demographic issues for seniors and youth, reconciliation and social justice. We also saw another wide array of needs, such as smart agricultural approaches, food security, community health, climate adaptation, and access to just civil services. I have an example within Guelph and Wellington, where they wanted to build the first circular food economy using data and technology. They undertake, they've undertaken studies to understand their food waste factors in their community and acquiring baseline data to track reductions and repurposing of waste. You know, this project was an important lesson for us and the government as we look at the diverse needs that came through. And it reminded us that you know, solving these complex public policy challenges doesn't involve one department or one mandate. It needs you know, a number of partners working together to solve these issues. And as we observe this, it's really important for the private sector and companies who see themselves as leaders of innovation in our country to be part of the solution. Private sector-led innovation you know, must be rooted in these key challenges and needs that communities are facing. It tells us there's a tremendous need for new technologies and new solutions to respond to the realities Canadians are facing. Which led me to one of the really important parts that's been actually internationally acknowledged is the transparency within this process. We made the smart cities applications public from the start. And we did this not only to support the government's need for transparency and openness, but also help communities learn from each other to have a ripple effect. So if one community had an issue and a problem, another community could learn from that and not start from a blank slate. This transparency was also really important to mobilize partnerships. This worked to some extent in that we saw some companies stepping up after reading applications and providing kind of potential solutions. 
But I, I must confess it's an area of opportunity because we hope to see more private and civil society coming forward to be able to help realize some of these ambitions. And we know communities and the private sector need to work together to help tackle these challenges. So it's something I think that we need to work together on. One of the big challenges that we're all facing right now is living with COVID. And you know, all orders of government have adjusted their programming and service delivery to be able to respond to the challenges that we're facing. And something that we've recently done is we've launched a new program that extends some of the spirit of the Smart Cities Challenge by supporting measures and communities to respond to the pandemic, including digital solutions. So from creating safe and vibrant public spaces, improving mobility options, supporting innovative digital technology, we've launched something called the Canadian Healthy Communities Initiative that draws on the insights and learnings that we had from our challenge to foster innovation on the ground and find local solutions. You know, we continue to press forward with the Smart Cities Challenge including investments in local capacity and capability building through a, a program that we have called the Smart Cities Community Support Program. And before I finish my remarks, I just want to talk a little bit about the impacts and the disruptions of in-person channels we've had from COVID. I mentioned the Guelph and Wellington Smart Cities Project earlier that put them in a really good position for food, their food supply network. So now they're working with their partners, openfood.ca, on improving access to local food vendors and bringing farmers markets online to connect local vendors and producers to consumers. In today's environment, that's really important. Montreal also observed that their city would have been better equipped to handle the current crisis with the capabilities that they're currently building now with their Smart Cities Challenge, integrated data at a city level to be able to monitor flows of food and people through the, their districts, as well as having platforms for residents for real-time information. Those are just two examples that show us that the actions become quote unquote a smart city can help communities be resilient, adaptable and better respond to unforeseen events that we're gonna be living through now and into the future. Well, we at Infrastructure Canada are still at our early journey of our smart cities. You know, we expect to learn a lot more through this process and we're gonna continue sharing our learnings through our website and through other means. So please, you know, help us on this journey and look forward to, uh, to you know, learning for, further with, uh, with you as we go through this process. Thank you very much, Kelly. Um, so a few questions that flow from, from your remarks. Um, we've led this off by saying that Infrastructure Canada is a key player at the federal level, but there are other players at the federal level. There's uh, ICED and there's um, transport and there's natural resources. Can you tell us how, um, the different departments at the federal level work together on the smart city file? Certainly, it's a great question. And, you know, as we know, you know, any, you know, big issue that we're facing today, you, you can't solve it alone. There isn't one element or one program that's going to have the outcomes to be able to address some of the issues, whether it's food security, the opioid crisis, immigration, um, you know, dealing with some of the issues that communities are facing on the ground. So when we look at um, any particular public policy problem, we're looking at you know, who are the experts and the leads in this and in, in collaborating together. So for us in, uh, in the Smart Cities Challenge, you know, we had you know, key collaborators, certainly ICED, Innovation Science and Economic Development, as being you know, the lead for data, innovation, connectivity, and privacy from a marketplace frameworks perspective and leg legislative perspective. 
was a key partner in helping provide expertise and guidance as we're going through this and providing the capabilities to municipalities who don't necessarily have you know, the, you know, a privacy expert or an IP expert. So they were a key contributor in this. But depending on the type of challenge that a community was facing, we would bring in the, the federal department that would be responsible for that particular area, of, such as transport, if it was a mobility issue. Um, one of the, our finalists was in uh, was Nunavut, looking at prevention of youth suicide. So we worked with our public health agency on some of the issues and considerations to take in as we we're developing kind of a working relationship with them. And certainly from the outset, we really wanted high participation from Indigenous communities. So working with Indigenous Services Canada on making that happen and engaging and making sure that we were having broad awareness with Indigenous communities was an important facet of, uh, of how we move things forward. So you, you touched on the, this next question in your, in your answer to the first question. And you mentioned in your remarks that so much of the infrastructure in Canada is really at other levels of government. It's at municipal and it's provincial. And really when you start talking about smart cities, it's about cities, it's about municipalities, but everybody has a role to play. Um, the role that um, the federal government will talk about Infrastructure Canada, um, Infrastructure Canada has played a key role in other kinds of infrastructure development, public-private partnerships and that sort of thing. Um, monies that flow from um, the federal government to the provincial government. How do you see this cooperation working between the federal government, the provincial government, particularly the municipal government. And the municipal government is, is uh, in the throes of a crisis right now because of COVID-19, but even beyond that, um, there's a whole question of how does the federal government bring their support to bear with municipalities? So that's a, that's a really big question and it, it, it happens in many, many ways. So I'll speak more from the Infrastructure Canada perspective. And as I mentioned in my remarks, 98% of you know, public infrastructure is owned by other orders of government and about 60% of that is owned by municipalities. So a lot of the programming that we have, whether it's Smart Cities Challenge, which was directly with communities, most of our programming flows through provinces and territories through you know, bilateral agreements. But it is about understanding kind of local priority setting and achieving national outcomes. So in working directly with municipalities, we do that through you know, different programming like our disaster mitigation adaptation programming, where it's a merit-based programming where municipalities and communities can apply directly for the programming to be able to make investments in some of the needs that they have for uh, prevention and mitigation against some of the severity of our changing weather. Uh, but it is about understanding and, and having you know, conversations, collaborations, and being at tables where we understand the, the needs at the local level and to be able to bring that into some of our policy and programming and design. And I think you know, we can never do enough of that. And you know, as we evolve and look to the future, that especially coming out of the pandemic and some of the, the issues and the crisis that we faced at very much the local level, I see more of that and more of that need to be able to, to move forward with how we you know, design programming from a federal perspective that can impact local needs. I have actually two hats that I wear. I've got uh, Minister McKenna with his infrastructure and communities, but I also support Minister Monsaf for rural economic development. And last year uh, we did a, a cross-country consultation in rural and remote Canada to try and understand some of their needs from an infrastructure, from a connectivity 
from an economic development perspective. And one of the things that came out very, very loudly is although you might have the same you know, need at the top level, how you go about addressing it is different at the local level. And so it isn't a one size fits all. And I know from a federal government, we often have a national perspective. And I think this lends itself really well to what we learned through the Smart Cities Challenge is you've got to bring in local context and, and local decision-making, local governance, local priority setting on how you're actually going to address issues to actually you know, move forward and achieve the outcomes. One of the comments you made in your remarks um, was re reference to uh, private sector engagement in uh, the Smart Cities file. And there seemed to be almost a, a disappointment there with the amount of engagement that you were, that you were seeing. Um, one of the things that struck me about the, the comments is the emphasis upon uh, openness, transparency, and um, a need to allow that learning to flow amongst uh, the public sector. Um, but the reality is that the private sector is more interested in uh, intellectual property. That they're, um, they're not as interested in having their innovations uh, flow to uh, a wider audience than particular uh, engagement, uh, whatever the, the project might happen to be. So there's a bit of a tension there. Um, the federal government, uh, provincial governments have mastered that tension through uh, public procurement, through organizations like uh, uh, Infrastructure Ontario and that sort of thing. I just wonder how um, this plays out in your mind. How does, um, how do you get the best of both worlds? How do you get the best of openness and transparency and at the same time um, uh, cater to the uh, uh, needs of the private sector to uh, protect their intellectual property? So that's, that's a great question. And you know, one of the um, longstanding problems I think in Canada that I think we need to address collectively is our you know, innovation adoption. And for um, you know, us to be on the receiving end, we've got great innovative companies, we've got great innovative minds. And in my, in my past life, and I know you mentioned I worked at Innovation Science and Economic Development, I worked there for a long time looking at innovation adoption and for you know, ICT companies to be able to make sales in Canada. And one of the you know, issues that still remains to this day is you know, first to market and our adoption is often not happening in Canada. And you know, it's a little bit of a mystery and it's not, I don't think one, one easy solution, but how do we you know, look at bringing kind of Canadian solutions to Canada first? And the federal government has been working on a number of different programs to de-risk certain aspects of that. I, you know, and certainly you know, data, IP are really, really important in those marketplace frameworks and they have to you know, evolve as technology is evolving. And, our, our context is evolving, but for, uh, you know, for a number of number of years, we haven't been able to, and I know a number of ICT companies have told me this, you know, if you're, they've got a, a great new product or uh, service offering that they can't make a first sale in Canada, although we're giving grants to de-risk some of the R&D. So they're going abroad to actually make that first sale and then coming back to Canada. Now, whether it's private to private or private, private to public, how do we change that dynamic? because it infects our competitiveness and kind of our ability to be you know, global operators long-term. So I don't have a, you know, an easy solution to it, but I think we do have to collectively work on it together. I'm gonna to 
uh, ask you just from a very high level, what you, I, Canada Infrastructure Bank falls within your purview. Mm -hmm. What do you see the role of Canada Infrastructure Bank playing in the Smart Cities file? So um, the Canada Infrastructure Bank is an independent crown, certainly within the portfolio of Infrastructure Canada. And as they're gonna be looking at a number of you know, different potential infrastructure investments, you know, I think technology and uh, how we look at innovative ways of solving some of the issues that we have in the infrastructure domain, that the Canada Infrastructure Bank will be an important solution. And we mentioned you know, in the last question, bringing in you know, private sector, you know, their mandate is about bringing private sector revenue generating you know, projects into kind of the public domain. And they just issued their growth plan a few weeks ago. So I, it talked about a number of different areas of focus for them. And I think that's a great opportunity for Canada to be able to advance and get the infrastructure built that we need in this country. Well, thank you. Thank you, Kelly. I think we've uh, run out of time. And thank you very much for your remarks and your, um, and your candid answers to um, uh, the, the questions. Uh, the, the last one was a little bit of out of left field. And um, I, um, I particularly appreciate the, uh, the answer with respect to the private sector involvement. So again, thanks again for your, um, for your involvement today. Dentons is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice and you should not take and refrain from taking action based on its contents. Please see dentons.com for legal notices. Our speakers from this podcast episode and any other professional in our group will be pleased to speak with you on today's topic or any other topic related to smart cities. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for other episodes in our smart cities chat podcast series.